0: Tennessee. 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 Lord, I really Today I'm going to be talking to Casada Challenger, my hero Brad Fiscus, we are tnholler.com, we're also at the tnholler on Twitter and Facebook Share our stuff, amplify it We're only as good as you help us be We survive on small dollar donations So if you have a few bucks, give it to Brad But if you have a few bucks after that, give it to the holler, a few bucks a month goes a long way Alright, let's bring in my friend Brad here. Brad, how
1: are you, sir? I'm good. Hey Justin, how are you? First of
0: all, thank you for jumping into this race. I think I speak for people on both sides of the aisle when I say that somebody needs to take on Glenn Cassida. I'm gonna go ahead and assume that he's gonna run again because the man loves him some him and uh, I just mm-hmm. don't see him deciding not to do that. You know, I know you a little bit, but can you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, and your background here and then, and then we'll get into why you jumped in.
1: Yeah, well, I am a resident of Franklin, Tennessee. I've been a, been here since 1998, 97. We moved to Tennessee and uh, my wife and I have been married for 29 years. She's a physician, um, very involved in uh, Tennessee health um, in all areas, not just uh, in her job uh, as a physician and as a uh, in, uh, an advocate for public health. Um, but then also we have two children. Uh, One just graduated and going to UT Chattanooga to become an elementary school teacher. And one is still finishing out high school. And, uh, so I was a public school teacher, uh, right out of college after graduating from Indiana university, uh, go Hoosiers and, uh, taught for 13 years, both in Indiana and in Nashville, uh, at Overton high school. And, um, and so then, uh, my, my wife was pregnant with our daughter, uh, and, I felt like uh, my travel was as a coach, I was a wrestling coach and a football coach and a student council sponsor doing a lot of different things that my travel uh, that was involved in that was uh, potentially going to prohibit me from having quality time as a dad. And so we were in a place where we could do it. So I um, quit my job to be a stay-at-home dad and, uh, and that was in 2001. And then Mary was born. And then a couple year, of years later, our son Collins was born and uh i think it was the best decision i made you know i had when when you're in college and you're trying to path you know lay out your career path and uh that was as a teacher and a coach you know you you wanted to win championships and teachers of the year awards and things like that and and i was very blessed to do those things i had I, i was nominated for as a finalist for indiana teacher of the year um and i was a i won teacher of the year several times in my school system um But I think the greatest choice I made was doing that to be a stay at home dad. And so and then I went into ministry in 2005 and that was has been a blessing. Um, And and so I've been in my position now director of next gen discipleship since 2009. And um, so. uh, So that's sort of where who I am up to this point. Um, You want me to go into why? Yeah. Well, so um,
0: I think that's a, that's some good background there. I, I wanted to ask about, you know, you said you decided to stay at home. So that was that the Mr. Mom scenario where you were like yeah. running around with diapers in the bag and all that.
1: Yeah, I was, I was, uh, for the first few months, she, she was born in August and so I quit teaching in May. And so that from May to August, you're like, Oh, what have I got myself into? All my friends are going back to teach and here I am trying to figure out how to, uh, how to be a dad, you know? And so, um, but yeah, so I spent a lot of time, um, uh, not real fond of, of, uh, cleaning up the dirty diapers. I was always grateful when, um, the, the, the big dirty one happened at the end of the day and mom was coming home. Not that I held off to change at that point, but, but it was a great experience. I mean, um, just, uh, now looking back, like I would say for you as I know your wife is, uh, you have a, have a little girl and then you've, you've got another one on the way that, um that those are the years that you become their dad. And it's so important, like being present, being there with them, and, and just staying consistently connected with them. Because now as she's going off to college here in a few in a couple of weeks, actually. Um, it seems like that time fl- flew by incredibly fast, you know. And um, Tell me a little bit
0: about the youth ministry aspect. What got you into that and how, how long have you been doing it?
1: So I've, so what was interesting was when I was growing up, my mom and my family, my uncles, my dad said, here's what we think you're going to be like, because I used to get in trouble all the time for talking. You know, you'd get a report card back from your elementary school teacher and they would check talks too much. And so, um, and so my mom and my dad and friends always say he's either going to be a preacher, a teacher, or a politician. And, and, uh, and so as I was, um. In 2005, uh, I had built a stained glass uh, cross for the sanctuary. We did this grand opening, and one of the bishops came to consecrate the church. And he said, said, you know, he said, all of us want this world to be a place where we can um, be who God's created us to be and that our children will be able to grow up and be who they've been created to be. But here's the deal. We have to get out of our seats. We have to get out of our pews, and we have to be a part of making that happen. Um, and so, and I felt like he was talking right to me because at that point, you know, my kids were, um, were now, uh, four and two getting, they were in preschool. Um, I was at home a lot by myself. It's like, you know, so how are you a stay at home dad if your kids aren't there? Right. And, and so it's like, and I understand that there's a lot to do. Uh, but I felt like Bishop Spain was staring right at me. And, um, and then I heard that our church was hiring a youth minister. So, um, so I thought, you know what, I love working with students. Um, so I just said, let's see what that looks like, and and it's, it was a great blessing. Um, every career choice that I've made has been a tremendous blessing uh, for me, uh, and I think for my family. Um, and God has blessed me to be able to to be connected to a lot of incredible young people and and adults across the Tennessee.
0: Well, you say every career choice you've made has been a tremendous blessing. Let's talk about the one you're making now. Yeah. Uh, what motivated you to jump into this race?
1: Well, quite honestly, my wife and I started dating about 32 years ago, uh, hard to believe, but it was about 32 years ago. And as we were starting to get a little more serious and we were talk- starting to talk about our future, um, she th- I said to her, hey, would you, uh, would you be in or- be willing to be married to a governor someday? And she was like, well, who's that? And I was like, well, that's something I always thought about doing. And so she said, well, maybe your second wife will let you do it. Um, but uh, I said, well, I'm not planning on having a second wife. And so uh, when I was in middle school to college, I had an uncle uh, who was in the Indiana house, uh, Donald Dean. And he was such an inspiration and a role model and such a, a you know, just a good guy. Everybody that knew him looked up to him. And, uh, and so I had the opportunity to see him in action a few times. And so that was sort of ingrained in me. I think public service has always been something that I have been called to do. And so uh, when I decided to run for school board, I was actually trying to convince Shelly at that time to let me uh, to agree to say, let's run for state representative. When, when was the school board race? Uh, uh, that was in 2018.
0: So so you were
1: one of the, the you you
0: ran recently and yep. won recently. So you're on a hot yep. streak right now.
1: Yeah, yeah. I uh I ran for school board in 2018 and and I've it's been a great honor to to uh and privilege to represent the district uh four here in Williamson County. We have a great school board, Williamson County Schools have are a strong school system. And uh and so so my plan at that time was um she wasn't really ready for me to to run for state representative. I said, well maybe next time. And so so then um uh, this term goes till 2022. And so I said to her, I said, let's look at go- running for state representative in 2022. And then, um, as we all know, over the last several months, uh, there has been some some things that have come out in the news uh, uh, about uh, Representative Cassida, uh, about the way that he has functioned in the house, how he has functioned in his personal space, how he, has, he and his staff have, have worked um, and, and done some embarrassing things and some disrespectful things. And you know what, as a person who has dedicated them, their, their life to developing young people um, and to being a dad of two young people and one who's getting ready to vote, I want the people who they are voting for to be somebody they can be proud of. Um, and, and so I really think that uh, as this has all come together, as I've prayed about it, as I've ta- thought through it, as I've talked to friends, that that's the piece that keeps driving me forward. The great background of having an uncle who was a model, but for me, I want there to be people in leadership, in our, in all levels of government that we can all be proud of, that that we can all know and look at them and say, well, that person's of integrity. That person is somebody that we can trust. Um, And so I think that's where I'm at right now. I mean, I think there's a lot of other things that I hope to do um but one is want to make sure that we bring integrity back to district 63 here in williamson county
0: well in case anybody's been in a coma for the last few months let me just rattle off a few of the things the guy that you're jumping in against has done first of all he promoted a guy who was admitted on tape to child sex abuse to head of an education subcommittee he lied he abided racism he participated in sexism he Um, overlooked cocaine snorting in the office by his chief of staff and he made the big mistake of calling Phil Williams a liar. So this is a guy who has now had to resign his speakership in shame and will be stepping down I believe actually today and then August 23rd Cameron Sexton will be the new speaker. Now let's talk a little bit about some policy stuff but first I want to ask you You've clearly made a decision here mm-hmm. to run as an independent, not as a Republican and not as a Democrat. Can right. you go into a little bit about why you made that decision?
1: Uh, because that's who I am. My entire uh, public life, you know, beyond college, um, when I've been serving as a teacher, um, as a minister, as a coach, has to be uh, a person who relates to everyone. Uh, as a school board member, it's a nonpartisan position, and I felt like uh, when I was campaigning and people would ask me, "Are you a Republican or a Democrat?" My response would be, "Yes, I am both of those, because I am for your child, for your grandchild, for your community to have the best educational system uh, that that we can offer." And so I am for the people. I'm I'm not. I don't like those labels of "Are are you a Republican? Are you a Democrat?" And I know that those are out there, and I know that we have. A predominant two party system in our country and in our state. Um, but I'll tell you one thing that, that I've come to find out uh, doing some research as I've been working uh, to prepare for this campaign that 40% of Americans identify themselves as independent. They might lean some towards the Republican side or some towards the Democrat side, but they identify themselves as an independent first. And so as I've voted in general elections uh, and, as, and I've voted in other elections, I have been less concerned about party platforms and more concerned about the people that I'm voting for. Are they people of integrity? Are they people who are going to listen to their constituents that voted them in? Are they going to truly represent everyone, even the ones that didn't vote for them? And so that's what I've tried to commit to as a school board member. um, And that's who I am as an independent.
0: So I respect that. You know, On some level, I consider myself independent also, even though I ran as a Democrat. When I would meet people, I think a lot of people do identify that way. I think you're absolutely right about that, especially young people. They have a particular aversion to labels, which I totally understand. Uh, Just to ask about a few of the things that we've seen this session, Uh, one thing that comes to mind simply because there's a report about it last night. Again, uh, this voucher legislation, I think you were outspoken against it. Uh, just as a summary, basically this was uh, legislation that privatizes public school dollars, and it's something that Governor Lee has been a champion of. And it ended up being a bill that only affects Democrat-led districts. All the Republicans throughout the entire state had their district removed from the bill, which goes yeah. to show you how much they actually believe in this thing. And you know, from where I'm sitting, it's a pretty damaging piece of legislation. Now. I know you sort of feel the same way. Can you explain kind of where you would stand on that and and how you
1: see it? Oh, definitely. I I was a loud opponent of vouchers. Um, uh, There are multiple times that I've written op-eds for the Tennessean, and I spoke down at the uh, Capitol building on the steps of the Capitol with different rallies and so on. And here's why. So the state that I grew up in, um, when when, uh, Mike Pence uh, was governor, I think in 2011, they passed the voucher legislation. Same kind of process saying, oh, it's only gonna be for those that are low income and low performing schools area. We're gonna just do it as a, a small uh, test market group of people, uh, kids and so on. Uh, it's gonna be a set amount of money uh, that's, that's equal to about the same amount that we're giving now, $7,300. And we're gonna limit it uh, over this time frame. Now, six, seven years later, that's expanded to 30,000 students. And the majority of that 30,000 are kids who, who aren't from low income families and we're not from low fa- or p- performing school areas. So these um, are
0: kids that basically just took the money because it was there, didn't need it. Right. And the program, which they call the pilot program has grown exponentially, which is exactly what all of the people who are against this bill say is gonna happen here. And this happened in the state where you're from.
1: Right, right. And it it, it happened and in, I'd have to go back and look at my notes, but it has grown exponentially uh, since it was installed. And and the problem is that the, the kids who are receiving the voucher, the families, they already had access to be able to go to the private schools that they were going to. The other issue, even as a minister, people say, well, how can you be a minister and not want kids to be able to have access to go to Christian schools or or religious schools? Um, I I strongly believe in the separation of church and state That that my dollars... Um, should be able to go towards um, uh, the public education, the public systems that it's set up for. I don't expect an, an, um, uh, someone, if they make the choice, or if I even made the choice to send my children to a private school, that I would expect everyone else um, to, to provide their tax dollars to pay for my child to go to a private school. And the, the other part of it is, um, is that the areas that they've targeted uh, and in Indiana. So the, the other thing that they said in Indiana going back was that um, that it's going to help these poor, low-income families. And what they were actually saying was that it was going to help. You know, they didn't want to come out and say it, but they were trying to say, well, we're going to help the minority students. Well, what they found is, is that um, in Indiana, uh, very few minority students were able to take those vouchers. Um, very few low-income families were able to take those vouchers. Right, because
0: it's not like they are just, this close to being able to go to these private schools. First of all, a lot of them don't have transportation to get there. Exactly. A lot of them don't have the grades to get there. Right. They don't take special needs kids. They don't take special ed kids. There's no accountability. The list goes on and on. And also, by the way, there's no actual evidence that vouchers lead to better results for the kids or for the schools. So, you know, I always go, and I'm sorry, I'm I'm, I'm a little passionate about this thing, yeah. but the thing that I always remember, you know, and and, Betsy DeVos is the driving force behind this Secretary of Education, and she has said on tape that her goal with her education agenda is to advance God's kingdom. Now, I'm not against people of faith. I go to Temple. I know you are one also. I think Mm -hmm. people should be able to practice, but for public school dollars to be steered towards private religious educations for the purpose of advancing God's kingdom is a problematic thing. And you know, it seems like there's a hidden agenda here. So you know, I appreciate that you took that stance and that you've been you've been loud about it. And it seems yeah. like, if and when you do get there, it'll probably still be an issue.
1: Oh, it'll definitely be an issue. And here's my concern that that is happening right now with Governor Lee wanting to advance the timeline. Uh, I'm I'm a part of a group called Pastors for Tennessee Children, which is part of a larger group group called Pastors for Children, started in Texas to also uh push back against the voucher movement. but our our uh, pastor network is ecumenical of all denominations of all backgrounds. Uh, it is predominantly Christian, but we are reaching out to expand our network to beyond those faith um, areas. But our purpose, our desire, is to um, is to uh, make sure that all children have access to public to education, all children regardless of who they are, uh, regardless of what they believe, uh, regardless of what religion they practice, that all children should have that. And so what this voucher system does is it creates segregation even more. Um, it creates segregation based on ethnicity, it, on, on, That's um, right. That's on right. social economic ability, uh, on the ability to, to to have access to quality education. Because let me tell you, What's, what's alarming is is that there are pop-up private schools happening right now across the state for the sole purpose of being able to take this voucher money. That's right. Um, uh, and, and that's wrong.
0: That's right. The voucher vultures have already started coming here. Charles Offelman uh, says it's about advancing greed, and he's right about that. And I'm glad you brought up the segregation because the history of vouchers shows that they started as a way for – white families to avoid having their kids go to school with black families after segregation. That's where the root of this whole thing happened. So um, that's a really important point to make. And then I think as a bigger point, bringing up segregation, what we've seen with all of this stuff, sorry, that's my dog. What we've seen with all of this stuff is that the more segregated things get, the worse things get for the people at the bottom. So the, the school systems throughout the world, what we've seen is that, the school systems that don't separate their students, where you have wealthy kids going to school with poor kids, everybody gets lifted up, where the Mm -hmm. parents have resources. The more we separate kids through charter schools, through vouchers, the more the bottom drops out. And Mm -hmm. so that's why I think instead of looking at, say vouchers for a place like Memphis, we should look at the way districting happens. One of the biggest things that I've noticed, and this comes from having run for Congress and having the city Clarksville in my district, Clarksville is the fifth biggest city in Tennessee. The top four cities all have failing schools. Clarksville has none. And the way that Clarksville draws their schools is very inclusive. They don't exclude kids from schools. You have kids from better neighborhoods going to school with kids from Lincoln Homes. So I would, and, and I've found that even voucher proponents actually believe that districting plays a part in this. Even a guy like John DeBerry, who I talked to at length, says that, yes, districting is something we should look at. So I'm glad you bring up the segregation and separation, and I hope that when you get there, that'll be something that you look at.
1: No, definitely. I think districting, how it's laid out, definitely has an influence. I mean, I think that what I heard from our um, legislators, and and it was just disappointing that um, uh, in Williamson County, that we had one out of the four, um, uh, so we have... um, Brandon Ogles in 61, Sam Whitson in 65, uh, Glenn Cassida, 63, and then Jack Johnson uh, as our senator. And Sam was the only one that voted against it. He was the only one that listened to the people in his district that said that vouchers are not good for public education. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and so uh, Senator Johnson uh, sponsored it uh, as, the, as the majority leader. Uh, Gat Cassida as the speaker, he was one of the sponsors and then pulled himself back out of it. Uh, be, uh, and allowed somebody else to sponsor it, um, but but the fact that all throughout this legislative session and 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 throughout really throughout our general assembly, it's um, my wife gets frustrated uh, as a physician when she works with pa- families who have gotten their information from the internet and believe that that's more not more important and more accurate than real knowledge about medical practice, right? Real that that's, that belief or opinion is more valid than science. Well, the same thing is happening in our legislature. We ask these experts to come in. We ask them to give us their opinion, their, their true opinion based on, sta- uh, based on research, based on science, based on statistics. And by and large, it's disregarded.
0: Absolutely. You mentioned Senator Johnson. Uh, I was at a town hall where Jack Johnson said he's a thousand percent for vouchers. And then in the next breath, reassured everybody in that room that don't worry, they won't come to Williamson County, which I thought was the height of hypocrisy. He also said shame on you to the Franklin Special School District school board for not wanting to support minority kids. That school board is 50 percent black. So the guy has put his foot in his mouth over and over again. And the hypocrisy on display is is stark. And as Ch- our friend Chaz Uffelman said, it's about advancing greed, which is absolutely right. If anybody else has anything they wanna say or ask Brad, you can comment in the comment section. I know a lot of people usually watch this after the fact, and he, I'm sure, will make himself available if you have any questions also, and you can donate to him at fiscusfortn.com. 4 uh, Brad, I wanted to ask you real quick a couple of other things, I don't wanna keep you forever, but um, the one thing that's sort of near and near to my heart Is getting rid of the pedophile in the legislature. Mm -hmm. Do you have any thoughts, or the alleged pedophile, I guess, the admitted, apologized? Do you have any thoughts on whether or not we should expel Representative David Berg, who the guy that you are running to replace instead of expelling actually promoted to chair of an education subcommittee?
1: All right. So, you know, I was a public school teacher. Uh, Unfortunately, I uh, worked with some people who were suspected of. uh, of misconduct with students. Uh, I now, in my role with the Tennessee Conference, am the uh, the director or, and policy director and trainer uh, for clergy misconduct. Um, sexual misconduct, um, um, boundaries and sexual ethics. I, t- I, I write the policy and I train pastors, lay people on that. So for us to say that this this um, uh, representative Byrd um, who has um, legitimate accusations against him is still in a place of leadership again brings embarrassment and and a lack of um, trust I believe i mean how how can we allow our leaders who are supposed to be held to a higher standard who uh, by their very um, movement into leadership and state level government how how can we not hold them to that standard um, uh, and so he has admitted on tape. We've heard the tapes, right? Um, and and some would say, well, why did it take so long for those women to come forward? Well, I can tell you from my research of preparing to train people on sexual abuse and sexual misconduct, that the trauma that is there um, is something that that abused victim wants to bury. They want to bury it. They don't want it. They, they want to try to forget about it. And unless somebody believes them at the very beginning um, they will continue to bury it until they become strong enough or something deci- they decide that that someone has given them the courage enough to come forward um, and what so you say to people who
0: say well, his district reelected him
1: you know i uh, you know i'm I'm not surprised um because i'm because when a person is has been in a community for as long as representative Byrd has and He's, a, he's known there, he has a, a gymnasium uh, floor named after him as a basketball coach, he was a principal. Um, he's somebody that you would think we don't want, um, we wouldn't want this to happen. We don't believe it's happened. Um, and also um, uh, he, he has, he's probably ran unopposed um, uh, as often as we have seen here in our county. And so, but if, if they're not going to, if they're gonna leave it up to the voters if they're not going to do their due diligence, the governor is not going to uh, say, hey, uh, Representative Byrd, it's time for you to leave. Um, then there needs to be a full investigation. I mean, everybody thought Bill Cosby was a great guy, right? I mean, we all watched the Cosby family. We all uh, ate uh, pudding pops or what. You know, we we all thought he was a great guy. And then the, they were able to actually investigate. And so I'm for. Uh, the statute of limitations that, that prevent child abuse victims from coming forward later in life. Um, I'm for those to be reviewed. Uh, I think that that is wrong. I think that any abuse of a child, any abuse of a of a person, whether it's a child, an adult, of either gender, of any um, orientation is wrong and, it, and everyone deserves to have that investigated and have justice take place. They literally just
0: this week signed a bill, the governor signed a bill saying that uh, the statute of limitations, I think, extends to 30 years, or they either extended it or erased it for certain crimes, which is an amazing thing if you think about it, that they are passing legislation to kind of do away with the statute of limitations. At the same time, they're refusing to call on Rep. Bird, who has admitted this on tape, Mm -hmm. to step down. The Mm -hmm. hypocrisy is incredible. The excuse that these people reelected him to me holds zero water An election is not a court of law. And at the same time, Speaker Casado was spending hundreds of thousands of dollars to discredit the victims, calling them Democrats, saying that they're just liberals, calling them fake news. And then he had the nerve to look me right in the eye and lie to me and tell me that he had met with the victims, which was an incredible thing. So, you know, the excuse that they reelected him, I really think holds no water We've now heard that Governor Lee has asked him not to run again, which to me is even more incredible because if you actually think that this guy did this thing, instead of calling on him to resign now, you're saying, yeah, go ahead and serve your term for two years and then just don't run again. It's such a blatant abdication of his duty. It's neglectful. It's weak and soft. And so I'm encouraged to hear you yeah. calling for an investigation and for him to be expelled. and You know i hope you get in there
1: well well, look if we haven't learned anything we we've learned so much over the last several uh years and months um and and i'm so um it, it it was shocking right the me too movement how and it was such a great um a great movement and my daughter um is i love her to death and i would do anything for her and and you better believe that um that I'm gonna make sure she knows how to protect herself and that she knows what abuse looks like and, and so on. But here's the deal. If, we're, if we are going to suppress um, people who have experienced abuse, if we're gonna ex- suppress their story by labeling them as radicals, um, then we are not doing the justice system. We are not allowing them to be a whole person. And as a person of faith, um, how, how can you call yourself a person of faith on that side uh, of that if you're on that side of the deal where you're saying that they're radical or they're liberals or whatever um, but you call yourself a person of faith at the same time and you're not willing to to sit down and believe them or to listen to them and discredit them um, I have to question um, whether or not you're following uh, what you've read in scripture um, and so uh, because I believe uh, strongly um, that we are about uh um loving our neighbor as ourself like how do i regardless of where that person uh, worships whether they worship uh, in, a, in a temple or a, a church or don't at all i as a person of faith am called to to love them i'm i i'm called to see them as a child of god that, that is worth uh of, of sacred worth right and so um it, it just it it alarms me um that we have, a, have leaders in our, in our state government who profess to be such strong followers of, of God who are using this as a political place as, as opposed to taking care of people.
0: Speaking of taking care of people, one last thing and then I'll let you, let you go. Uh, Medicaid expansion, seem like something that, that we should do. I mean, personally, I haven't heard one good reason why we've let $7 billion fly out the window and we keep 300,000 Tennesseans without coverage while our rural hospitals close one after another. Are you for or against Medicaid expansion?
1: Oh, I think that's a definite that we need to go back and, and, and make that effort to expand it. Uh, here's the deal. Um, we have a system of health care uh, and it's in here. I'm going to step back for just a second because. When we talk about a system of healthcare that's broken, um, we're actually doing the same thing that we do when we say we have uh, failing schools. The the healthcare system that we have that's made up of physicians, uh, nurses, all of that component, hospitals, those are good, solid people. But they've been hamstrung by a system of insurance that strangles our healthcare system. And so it's gotten to a place now where we have people who have it, uh, who have access, and we have people who don't have access. Uh, but those people are still going to come to the hospitals and require care. They're still going to have um, uh, health crises. They're still going to have uh, deliver babies. They're still going to be a, have opioid addiction. Um, and so for us to say, well, it's, it's it, you know, Medicaid expansion is, is, to, is an entitlement that we don't need to be involved in. We are actually paying for that uninsured person anyway. Um, And so if we would expand Medicaid, uh, we would be able to have hospitals in those rural communities that are now closing. If we would expand Medicaid, uh, the the hospital that we have here in Williamson County uh, would be able to see patients and then not have to write off the majority of the cost to be able to take care of those people when they come in and they're uninsured. Uh, And so it does have an effect on all of us. And so the cost of healthcare is higher because we've not allowed people to be insured across the country, especially across here in Tennessee.
0: I think that makes a lot of sense. All right, last thing. Just yep. going to do a quick lightning round with you, and then we'll yep. let you go. Uh, this is just going to be yes or no. What would you do? Questions. All right. Yep. What would you do if you found out your chief of staff was doing cocaine in the office at his desk?
1: Fire him immediately. Okay. What would you do if? And 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 report to the police. It, it, you know, go ahead. Would you
0: ever promote a admitted child sex abuser to chair of an education subcommittee? No. Okay. Uh, would you lie to Phil Williams and call him a liar?
1: No, I don't want to do anything to upset Phil Williams. He, okay. he, he well, is a liar. sound like a big
0: step in the, the right direction to me. Right? Uh, how, how would you like for people to to take, what, what do you want them to take away to know you as, and, and how can they help you as a final sign off?
1: Yeah, I think um for us I think there are a lot of ways you can help. Of course, um in order to run uh, a campaign against a person that has a very large pack um a uh, financial background uh, of about $500,000, it's going to take money uh to be able to get our message out there. Um uh, it's and so go to fiscusfortn.com, uh you can give there online. Give give as much as you want, you know, uh, uh, there are limitations and those are listed there. But uh, every bit helps. Um, uh, our goal is to have as as many possible donors as possible, uh, regardless of the size of gift. And then the second thing is, uh, uh, let us know that you want to help us. Um, are there people that you know that I should talk with, uh, whether by phone, by in person, have coffee, um, is a video conference with? Uh, go to fiscusfortn.com uh, for tn.com and you can send us a message um, and say, Hey, I know this guy, or I would like to volunteer. I'll knock on doors. We'll host a, a gathering at our home. We really want to be, want this campaign to be about the people, not about policy. And so I want to meet as many people uh, in district 63 and quite honestly, across the state as I can, as I do this.
0: Well, he's running as an independent. Uh, if you don't want to see Cassidy back in office, Brad is offering a adult option he is a youth pastor a father a family man a good man i've known him for a long time and i appreciate that you've jumped in the run maybe we can check in again down the line uh and and you know see how things are going but but i wish you all the best with the campaign and i encourage everybody to go to fiscus for tn and support brad with whatever you can
1: thank you justin i appreciate you. Tennessee.